Merry Christmas, Valley family. Uh, we are excited kicking off this brand new series. It's going to really take us uh, all the way up to uh, Christmas and our Christmas services the week of Christmas. We're calling it Uncut Christmas. Uh, the reason being so many times we hear the story of Christmas and it's almost like Peanuts Christmas when the teachers are speaking like wah, 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 wah. You know, we get so used to it. Uh, but there's so much that's going on in this story, this narrative, the historical account uh, of Christmas uh, that, that we want to get behind the story really. Uh, because there's so many times we just hear this and we go right over some incredible, uh, really even shocking. Uh, details. And, and so as we jump into today, I just want to ask a couple questions, get a feel for where everyone's at. Uh, first of all, how many of you have started your Christmas shopping? Could I see your hands? Okay. Uh, who, who here has finished their Christmas shopping? Okay. Now, hate is a strong word, but, uh, but we hate you. No, I'm just kidding. We're, you know, relax. It's Christmas and everything like that. Well done. That's fantastic. How many of you do your Christmas shopping in your pajamas? I do from home. I never leave the house, do it all online. It's so fantastic. And then the boxes come uh, and, and all that. Um, and, and, and the decorating, we haven't completely finished the decorating in the Williamson home. I still have my tree in my man cave that I have to put up, uh, but uh, maybe I'll, I'll do that here very soon. It's just the beginning of December uh, after all. Getting a lot of bounce back uh, on the sound there. Thanks guys. Uh, what I want to look at is uh, uh, the first part of the Christmas story from Joseph's perspective. And sometimes he's the one that's somewhat forgotten about uh, in this story. So if you have your Valley Christian Church app, if you go ahead and open that up and you'll be able to follow along. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. It's kind of wild as I look in my Bible that one page is completely blank because it's the end of the Old Testament and the starting of the New Testament here in Matthew chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18. And it's right there in your Valley app. And you'll want to fill in the blanks as we go along there to help you remember what we're talking about uh, as we talk about the fact that he is with us. What does that even mean? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, let me start reading there. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Now, that was betrothed in the Hebrew uh, Jewish culture there. It was actually an engagement. And in order to break that up, break that off, an engagement like that, there was a divorce proceeding that had to take place. Uh, so, so it's a little bit different than nowadays just to understand that when someone is engaged or pledged to be married, in the biblical times, it required a divorce to end that. A legal divorce. It says that she was uh, pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, in other words, consummated their, their marriage, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. I mean, if you're Joseph, can you imagine this? Mary, the woman that you're engaged to, that you're betrothed to, she comes to you and goes, Joseph, I have good news and bad news. The bad news is I'm pregnant. He's like, what? The good news is it's God's baby. It's the Holy Spirit. That sounds like bad news and bad news to me. Bad news, she's pregnant. Bad news, she's gone crazy. That's exactly what Joseph thought. Look at what it says. It goes on and says, because Joseph, her husband, it was already considered in that engagement that it was a husband, although the, the wedding had not been consummated, they're just engaged. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He's like, she's nuts. And I don't want her. I don't believe her. 
And so I'm going to, I'm going to divorce her. I don't want her to be ashamed and, 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 and actually could almost be stoned to death in this situation. To be pregnant outside of marriage in the culture 2,000 years ago, death, if that's what Joseph wanted. But instead, because he was a righteous man, it said, he was faithful to the law. He didn't want to expose her to disgrace. He had a mind, I'll just put her, I'll divorce her quietly. And then the scripture goes on and it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Now this is wild when you think about it. I mean, read this like you've never heard this before. The angel doesn't appear to him. The angel appears to him in a dream. He's dreaming about an angel. And the angel says this to him. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. In other words, don't, don't divorce her. Continue on as the plan was. Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what do you do with that? There's no one else in the room, it seems like. He's asleep and, and an angel is speaking to him while he sleeps. It goes on and it says, the angel is giving him directions. And I had him highlight some of this because it's really important for, for, for us to understand during our time together. She will give birth to a son, the angel says. So first of all, it says, this is what the gender is going to be. Long before sonograms or ultrasounds, she'll give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Don't, don't forget about that. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. This angel says, this is what you're supposed to name him. This is what you have to name. You, have, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Then it goes on and it says, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now the angel is really quoting the Old Testament, Isaiah, I believe it is, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him, watch this now, Emmanuel, which means what? Which means God is with us. He is with us. God is with us. Now this is absolutely crazy 2000 years ago in Jewish culture. Because uh, in the Old Testament, as you read through, the Jewish people didn't even call God by his name. They, they thought his name was so holy, they wouldn't even pronounce his name. That's how holy and distant he was. An angel appears to this good Jewish man and says, listen, Mary, who you're betrothed to, that you're engaged to, she's pregnant. And it's God's baby, and she's going to give birth to God. This is just like mind-blowing, absolutely shattering. Think about it in terms of all the world religions. God is going to be born as a child. No other faith says something like this. That God is actually, God who created everything is going to come in human form and the creator of the cosmos is going to be completely dependent upon his parents to change his diapers. Think, think about the, 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 the miracle of what we call the incarnation. That the Bible says that, that by the word of God, he said, let there be light. Boom, there's light in creation. 
all the things that he does by the word of his mouth, now he's not even going to be able to speak an intelligible language as a baby. This is the miracle of the coming of Jesus. And the fact about it is this. You read all these other miracles in the Bible, all these things that Jesus did, even the miracle of the resurrection. Listen, none of that compares to this first miracle. That God took on human flesh and was born. This is the miracle of all miracles in the entire Bible. When, when, when we believe this, when we put our faith in what the Bible says so clearly throughout the Gospels, what happened? God became human to be with us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves me. All the other miracles are secondary compared to the birth of Jesus Christ. Every miracle that he did was secondary, even the resurrection from the dead. God is going to be born by a human preteen girl. We'll get to that next week when we talk, to, talk about Mary. Most scholars believe she was 12, maybe 13 years old. And God entrusts his son, Jesus Christ, to a 12-year-old. I've had three 12-year-old girls. I... I I, don't, I didn't trust them with much when they were that age. Not even a telephone, much less the son of God at 12 years old. Absolutely mind-blowing when you think about this. He'll be called Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. This is, this is the, the big idea in this passage. He's with us. God is with us. That that's, that's what his name means, this, this reference, Emmanuel. He's with, God is not distant. God is not detached. God is not some fuzzy-headed grandpa up in heaven with a big old stick just waiting for you to get out of line and pow, he's just going to send all kind of tragedy and crisis and pain into your life. That's not the teachings of scripture. God is with us. God born in a manger. He's with us. Well, what does this mean? Well, what, what does this really mean? He's with us. I, I think it means two things. First of all, it means this. It means true impartiality. True impartiality. In, in other words, th think about this. Think about the context, the backdrop of the birth of Jesus. He was born to peasants, Joseph had no, no economic status. He was a carpenter. They, they were poor. They had nothing. He wasn't born, Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He wasn't born to a king or a princess. It means there's true impartiality with Jesus. That, that, that he treats everyone on equal footing. He doesn't favor one group of people over another. And watch this now. Do you know what that means for you and for me? It means we're not supposed to favor people either. It means you and I should never treat other people, one group differently than another group. That's not what God did when he came to be with us. And we should not do that either. What, what, what that means is, think about this. He, 
Jesus didn't hang out with the rich and famous. Jesus wasn't after trying to schmooze and rub shoulders with the powerful in the world at that time. Jesus came to the common people. And we'll see that as we work our way through the series. The angels declared the birth of Jesus not to a king in a palace, but to shepherds in a shepherd field. The most impoverished outcast in the culture and society of that time. We as Christ followers also should not show partiality or favoritism to anyone as well. Speaking about this, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, he put it this way, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. He says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. If we're his followers, we have to have that same attitude, impartiality. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He he didn't think, well, you know what? You better treat me different than everyone else because I'm God. You better show me the glory and the respect that I deserve. What does it say? It goes on and it says, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Totally impoverished. When he appeared in human form, goes on and says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for me. He shows no partiality. What does it mean? He's with us. True impartiality. That every man, every woman, every young person is equal in the eyes of Jesus. Doesn't matter what your last name may be. Doesn't matter how many zeros are in your bank account. Doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, or how powerful or how downtrodden you are. Jesus treats us all impartially. Here's the second thing that I think it means where it says he's with us. It means unlimited comfort for you and me because he came to be with us. That that means that in Jesus Christ, we find unlimited comfort, that that he understands everything that you and I will ever face in this life because he's been there. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter two, verse 17. It says, for this reason, he, that's speaking of Jesus, for this reason, He had to be made like them, fully human in every way. He's fully God because it's by the Holy Spirit, and he's fully human because it's by Mary. And and it's hard for us to wrap our heads around it. That's why if humans were writing the Bible, nobody would write this. It's craziness because you can't comprehend this. How can one person be fully God and fully man at the same time? It's a miracle. He was fully human in every way in order that what? That he might become merciful, a merciful and faithful high priest. He's a priest acting on our behalf in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. What does that word atonement mean for the sake of our time together right now? It means that he would pay the price with his personal life, with his blood for your personal sins and my personal sins. He would pay the debt that we owed because of our sinfulness. 
It means we have unlimited comfort because he was fully human in every way. And I love what the next verse says in Hebrews 2.18. It says, since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Jesus wants to help you when you're facing difficulties and challenges because he's been there. He understands. He's felt what it is that you feel. Have you ever been betrayed before by a friend? Jesus was. And he was crucified after that betrayal. It cost him his life. He knows what it feels like to be disappointed and to be betrayed by a friend. Have you ever been lonely? Jesus felt loneliness. Intense loneliness. Multiple times throughout scripture, it talks about that. Have you ever faced death before that your life is literally hanging in the balance? Jesus has felt that. How about this? Sometimes people say this to me like, okay, fine, you know, betrayal, all this stuff. But, but you know what? How about the times, if God's real, how about the times that I've prayed and God doesn't even answer me? Jesus knows how that feels. What? Remember in the garden of Gethsemane, he asked God as he was facing his crucifixion, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, if there's any way I can avoid it, please take this cup from me. And God said nothing. Nothing. No answer. No response. Nothing. And what's the next thing out of Jesus' mouth? Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 39. How about being abandoned? Have you ever felt abandoned? Maybe, maybe even when you're a young person, maybe your parents abandoned you. Jesus knows how that feels. Do you remember when he hung on the cross? And as he's pushing himself up on the nails, trying to get enough air into his lungs to speak, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Jesus knows what it's like when God doesn't answer the prayer. Jesus knows what it's like to feel abandoned. Matthew 27, verse 46. He knows. He's with us. It means he has for you and for me unlimited comfort. Christianity alone says that God has been to every single place that you and I will ever go to. And he has gone through the darkness, the greatest darkness that this world can ever offer. He knows. 
and he's with us. That's why you can trust him. That's why you can rely on him because he knows and he has the power to truly comfort, to truly give strength and to bring you through whatever it is that you face. He's able to help us when we're tested because he's come near. He's with us. He's with us. That's his name, Emmanuel. He's with us. God is with us. But here's, I think, the big question for us today. Not is he with us. He's with us. Here's the question. Are you with him? Are you with him? Am I with him? There's a big difference between knowing that he's with us and and really, am I with him? What place does he hold in my life? It's interesting, as as Jesus started his earthly ministry officially when he was about 30 years old, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Mark records what he did in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says, he appointed 12, that's the disciples, that what? They may, might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. The first thing that Jesus did to the disciples, he said, come and be with me. Come and let's share our lives with one another. Come and be with me. I remember even as a little boy when, when, when I felt uh, really God uh, beginning to tug on my heart. <laughs> that, that night when I was a little five-year-old boy and I knelt down by the bed and I prayed and I asked God to forgive me of my sins. Earlier in that day, I felt like God had spoken to me. And I remember walking in the house and I told my mom, I said, hey, mom, long story short, I said, God spoke to me today. My mother was a wise woman and instead of saying, what? You're nuts. She said, what did he say? And I said, he told me he wants me for his own. Five years old. He didn't call me to preach. He didn't call me to be a pastor. He didn't say, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. What I felt as a five-year-old boy was God said, I want you to be mine. He called me to himself. And you know what? (laughs) The times in my life when it seems like things are just going crazy, spinning out of control, time after time, I have to go back to that place. He called me to himself. He didn't call me to do something for him. He called me to himself that they might be with him. He is with us, but let me ask you a question today. Are you with him? Are you with him or is this a hobby? Are you with him or is this a fad? Are you with him? Or you're still kind of juries out. I'm not quite sure he's actually proven to me yet that he loves me. If you want Jesus in your life, here's the thing. You got to be brave. It takes guts. You got to be brave if you want Jesus in your life. He wants to be in your life, but it takes bravery to be with him. Actually, what it does is it takes courage. And and in our time left, I want to share with you three kinds of courage required to be with Jesus. It's not easy. It wasn't easy 2,000 years ago, and it's not going to be easy today. That's why I love the Bible, the scripture. It's so practical. When it says he's with us, you know what that means? We have to respond to that. And that takes courage. It took courage for Joseph 
as we'll see in just a minute, and it takes courage for you and for me today. Three kinds of courage that are required to be with Jesus. Here's the first one, the courage to experience ridicule. The courage to experience ridicule. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter five. He said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. He said, expect it. That's what the world's gonna do to you. You're gonna be the brunt of the jokes. They're gonna think you're weird. Some kind of Jesus freak. What are you all, religious? Some holier than thou? He said, expect it. 2,000 years ago, he said, expect it. And guess what? Not much has changed in 2,000 years, has it? It's like you can be anything in our country today except a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you're narrow-minded, you're a bigot. Everything else is fine. Jesus said, expect it. It takes courage to experience ridicule. Think again about Joseph. Joseph keeping Mary to be his wife and Jesus to be his son. The shame and the ridicule that he went through because he knew it's not about me. This is what Jesus was talking about. He went on and said, be happy about it when people ridicule you because of me, because you're a follower of mine. Be very glad for, great, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Jesus says, I see it. I, I see when your friends reject you because you take a stand for me. I, I see when, when your boss is putting pressure on you to do something unethical and you say, I can't do that. You don't understand. If it costs me my job, it costs me my job. I won't lie for you. I won't do that. Jesus says, I see that. It takes courage to experience ridicule. Here's the second thing. Courage required to be with Jesus, the courage to give up your independence. This takes guts to give up your independence, to, to give up your freedom to do what you want to do. Instead, in essence, what Jesus said in the garden, not my will, yours be done, Lord. It takes courage. Think about it for just a minute. The angel told Joseph Mary's going to have a boy, and this is what you name him. One of the greatest privileges 2,000 years ago in biblical culture was a father to name his child. He had total say over it. He was the deciding one. This is what my child's name is going to be. And the angel says, no, you got that wrong. Joseph, you think you're the manager of this boy, but this boy is the manager of all creation. He's the manager of you. You don't name him. You don't have that choice. The courage to give up your independence and your freedom. If Jesus is in your life, the angel is in essence saying, he's your manager. He's your, man. he's your boss. And he says, this is what you're to name. He's going to be a boy and you're going to name him Jesus. So many times I, I talk to people and they say, you know, I'm kind of interested in Christianity, but not if it means I'm going to have to X, Y, and Z. That's a person who has not yet experienced the love of Jesus Christ and understands what Jesus has done for them. 
They're, they're, they're still trying to say, I'm okay with Jesus being kind of an advisor. I'm okay with Jesus making recommendations in my life, but he is not my Lord. He will not be my Lord. And Jesus is like, I either am or I'm not. There's no middle ground. It takes courage. It takes guts to give up your independence. To become a Christian, you've got to do something that our culture says is absolutely insane. You've got to deny yourself. People always say, I, I just need to try to find myself. You'll never find yourself apart from Jesus because he's the one that has given you life. He's the one that knows who you really are. He's the one. Luke chapter nine, verse 23 says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It takes guts. It takes courage. It, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the wishy-washy. It, it's not for, for you, know, you, you know, the people that just change their minds left and right. It takes courage. It takes bravery to live for someone else instead of living for yourself. It's intimidating. Let's be honest, it's really intimidating. But you know what else? It's also an adventure. It's an adventure of having a Lord and a master who brings things into your life and takes you places and impacts people's lives that you never could imagine on your own. It's an absolute adventure. Only when we give Jesus our total allegiance do we get what we need the most from him. And do you know what we need the most from Jesus, every single one of us? We need him to name us. We're always trying to name him, like, be this for me, do this for me, do that for me. And he's like, I'm kind of like the boss. I'm the boss. And you'll struggle and you'll flounder and you'll flip around and you'll wander through life until you allow Jesus to be the center. And then he says, this is what your purpose is. This is why your heart is beating right now. This is what my plan is for your life. Joseph was a man of incredible bravery. No matter what the personal cost was to him, he made the decision, I'm gonna do what God has told me to do. I'm gonna take Mary as my wife, even the shame and the embarrassment and the scorn that I'm gonna take, I'm gonna raise this boy that's not mine as my son that God has entrusted into my hands. We can never know who we truly are until we come to Jesus and invite him into our lives and live our lives in obedience to him. We see this all throughout the Bible, this idea of God changing people's names and who they really were. Abram, he changed to what? Abraham. Jacob, he changed to what? Israel. Jesus did this himself. Simon, he changed to Peter. All throughout the Bible, there's all these different examples of, of a mother and a father saying, this is who you are. And then God comes along and says, no, this is who you are. You know, uh, it kind of reminded me as I was thinking about it, my parents told me that they had two names they, they were choosing to name me. One was, was my name. They, they, they went with, and I'm really glad for that. Gregory Shane, like the gunfighter of the movie Shane, Gregory Shane Williamson. 
they were going to call me, they weren't sure about Isaac Enoch Williamson. Thank God that didn't happen. As Pastor Zach concludes now, you know, I, I'm just so glad it wasn't Isaac. That was my grandfather's name, though. You know what Gregory means? Vigilant watchman. It's actually the Hebrew idea of an elder. That's what my name literally means. Vigilant watchman. I think maybe mom and dad were hearing from God instead of Isaac Enoch, Gregory Shane. Here's the third kind of courage that we need, that was required to be with Jesus. The courage to experience ridicule, the courage to give up independence. And here's the third one, and it all starts here. The courage to admit that you're a sinner. It takes guts. It takes just, just being honest with God and admitting, I'm a sinner. Remember, this is what we read. This is what the angel said to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because why? He will save his people from what? Their sins. Their sins. Sometimes people say to me, you know, I, I, I thought Jesus came to like love me. I thought he came to empower me, to fulfill my purpose. Yes, all those things. But it all starts with this. This is why he came. All those are secondary. This is the foundation. He came to do a, to save us from our sins. Here's the thing. We don't, how do I put this? He came to save us from our sins. We sin because we're sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. We're infected with this thing called sin. That's why we sin. Because in our core, every one of us is wrong. Jesus said it this way. If you want to be perfect, this is all you got to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every moment of your day, every moment of your life, even before you ever knew that's all you had to do. And love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you're perfect. But if you fail one time, you've broken all of God's commandments. That's all. So one time that I failed to love God 100% with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, just one time. One time that I've ever told a lie to someone to, to get what I really want. One time is all it takes. I failed to love my neighbor as myself. One time. That doesn't make me a sinner. I am a sinner. That's why I did that. We sin because we're sinners. That's who we are. That's why Jesus came, to save his people from their sins. That's where the hope of Christmas comes from. That, that, that's why we can rejoice that God loves you and God loves me so much that this is why he came. This is the starting point that brings the comfort of Jesus Christ into our lives, the hope of Jesus Christ into our lives, the joy and everything else that Jesus has. It starts with this, God, forgive me of my sin, pardon me. Not because I'll ever be good enough to earn it, but because Jesus was perfect and he took my place. And everything else comes from this. He will save his people from their sins.
Are you with him? He is with us. Are you with him? I know it takes courage to be with him, but, but let me just turn the, turn the coin on the other side. Have you ever thought about how much courage it took Jesus to be with you? Have you ever thought about how much courage it took Jesus to be with you? To be with me? With all my stuff? With all your hangups? With all your issues? With, with, with all my highs and lows? We see this all the time, don't we, in, in, in movies, a, a, a mother who defends her children and, and against an incredible, powerful enemy and a foe. And it's like, what, what, what possesses her to do that? It's love. It's love. Where she'll put herself between the enemy to protect her kids. And that's just a glimpse of the love that Jesus has for you and for me in our messed up place that we are in. The Bible puts it this way, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners and we wanted nothing to do with him, Christ died for us. He's with us. Are you with him? When we realize everything that he did, everything that he went through, how he humbled himself, everything that he suffered, he did because he loves you that much. That he gave his life for you and for me when I didn't give him a passing thought. When that dawns on us, the real miracle of Christmas, that's when we have the courage. He's not just gonna be a hobby. He's not just gonna be a weekend fat. Jesus is gonna be the center of my life. He's gonna be my everything. And for most of us, probably every one of us will never be faced with having to die for Jesus. But he died for us. What he asks in return is, will you live for me? Will you live for me? Will you put me at the center? First, ahead of everyone and everything else. And when we see what he did for us, that all started when he came near to us, then he will be with us and we will be with him and we will truly live the life that God created us to live. So I ask you a question today. Are you with him? Is he first? Is he the center of your life? If it wasn't Joseph, it was you. If the angel was speaking to you in a dream, 
these things that he said here, would it be like, mm, sorry, I got big plans for the rest of my life? Or would it be like Joseph? If that's what God wants me to do, that's what I'm gonna do. The courage to be ridiculed, the courage to give up your independence, the courage to admit, Joseph, one day holding that baby in his arms, this is the baby that's gonna save me. And I'm the dad. This child is here to save me, to take care of me. That's the miracle of Christmas. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the raw story of Christmas that, Lord, your word says it's not just so pretty and pristine, but Lord, the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised one, your son, our savior, it challenges us deep, deep, deeply to the core of our being. Lord, thank you for this example of Joseph who was a righteous man that was willing to endure ridicule, to give up his independence and to really admit that he needed a savior and recognize that's why you sent your son. Father, thank you that Jesus is with us. And God, I pray right now in this moment of honesty and truth that each and every one of us would answer the question, am I with Jesus? Am I with Jesus? Am I with Jesus? Thank you, Lord, for the honesty of this moment. And I pray for every single person here that in answer to that question, am I with Jesus? The answer would be no. That Lord, this would be the time that we place our faith in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. In his name, we ask these things. Amen.